You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now, a word from our sponsor, Zscaler, the leader in cloud security. Cyber attackers are using AI in creative ways to compromise users and breach organizations. In a security landscape where you must fight AI with AI, the best AI protection comes from having the best data. Zscaler has extended its zero-trust architecture with powerful AI engines that are trained and tuned by 500 trillion daily signals. Learn more about Zscaler Zero Trust plus AI to prevent ransomware and AI attacks. Experience your world secured. Visit zscaler.com slash zero trust AI. everyone, and welcome to the CyberWire's Research Saturday. I'm Dave Bittner, and this is our weekly conversation with researchers and analysts tracking down threats and vulnerabilities, solving some of the hard problems of protecting ourselves in a rapidly evolving cyberspace. Thanks for joining us. Every year we do a, a report on our activities from the previous year. You know, we find it as a good way to talk about and increase transparency of what is being going on in the program. That's Adam Taggart. He's a science of security researcher at the National Security Agency Research Directorate. The research we're discussing today is their 2021 Science of Security report. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. Dig into sort of the philosophy behind it here. Um, why approach security from a scientific point of view? What's your goal? So our goal is to build up a academic discipline investigating the fundamentals of cybersecurity. So we're talking about developing theories, models, and having scientific evidence to help inform cyber. So the reason we do this is a lot of times our gut initiative, our, our reactions to things, you know, it sounds right, but you really should dig in and do the study to figure out what is the best solution. Uh, one of the common ways you look at it is think about we, we're always seeing what is the best password you can make. And mm. we've done st- plenty of studies on passwords, and often it's like, you know, make it longer, add special characters, add do this. But the science says that that doesn't actually fit with how humans remember things. So you get all these other parts involved in it. So, you know, so in the sense, we want to really know the nature of how all these things fit together. So that way, when we provide advice and provide technology to solutions, 
we're confident that it's going to provide a good solution. So is this a, largely a, a matter of, um, of having a good amount of rigor behind the work that you're doing, good, good scientific principles? A- absolutely. So we're very much in doing rigorous work, stating your assumptions, testing those assumptions, trying to validate what you're doing. So that way you're not just creating some, something that sounds right. Let's test it with the real world and see if that is the actual solution. Well, let's uh, let's go over some of the details here of the uh, the SOS initiative, the Science of Security initiative. Um, you sponsor several different groups that you call Lablets. Um, what what is that about? Can you describe that for us? Sure. Lablets are small virtual labs at leading American research institutions, our, our universities, and, and the idea with a Lablet is. We don't want to just create a good research lab. We want to have it to be multidisciplinary. So it's not just a computer science activity or electrical engineering activity, but philosophy or and um, psychology get involved and actually pull the parts, questions apart and actually really dig into it. And the other aspect of the lablet is that it brings in other institutions. So we wanted to have not just one, or in our case, six, really great places. We want to have them bring in other institutions, other researchers, professors, graduate students together to really, you know, have that vibrant discussions and research and collaboration. Hmm. So be able to, to use the, I guess, the scale that these universities and, and institutes bring to the table, uh, their own resources, their own network of, of folks who can help with these hard problems. Exactly. Well, let, can, let's, let's go through some of those organizations. Who, who is in the lineup, and are there any particular, any particular specialties from each of them? So, we, yeah, so let's just go through it. Uh, we have Carnegie Mellon University out in Pittsburgh, and they're very much in uh, scalability and composability, like looking at like programming languages, and the other aspect is like doing long-term human behavior studies. So we can get really new perspectives from that. We have Kansas University, and they have specialty work. They're very much in uh, cyber-physical systems, and one of their big projects is trying to have computers be able to prove that they are what you think they are, not just who they are, but they're running the right type of software, they're in the right configuration, and those attributes that you care about to secure a system. We have a lablet at the International Computer Science Institute, which is a uh, research organization uh, in Berkeley, California, and they're uh, you know connected to University of Berkeley, and they are bringing much more on the privacy aspect of it because you know in the privacy you look at all these things of like how is information flowing, what are people doing with your information, and they have quite rigorous resources to actually bring uh, privacy policies into understanding contextual privacy because it's not just what the information is, it's how it's going to be used. And that, that really brings changes to how people perceive things. In addition, they have a really robust test bed where they test thousands of Android apps to see if they're actually following these privacy policies or doing other types of work. Hmm. We have a lablet at NC State, uh, North Carolina State University. And this lablet is really working on like norms of how does, what are expectations of how information works. And one of my favorite projects they're working with in collaboration with uh, Rochester Institute of Technology is they've been working in um, those collegiate competitions to get a better understanding of how attackers attack systems. Hmm. And finally, we have two more lablets. We have Vanderbilt in Nashville. 
And Vanderbilt is uh, brings an expertise in cyber physical systems. So all their research projects have a connection to the those computer devices that connect between the physical world and the real world. So whether they're doing uh, understanding how train control systems work or how the power grid influences things through information and then the actual, you know, how the power comes together. Mm-hmm. And finally, our last one is the University of Illinois in Urbana-Champaign, UIUC. And they're very much looking at the resilience of systems, you know, looking at how systems continue to work under compromise. You know, you, you don't want, we're not in a stage where if something gets broken into, we shut everything down, wait a few days, try to recover everything new. That just doesn't work in our world where everything is dependent upon uh, these computer technologies. Right. So they're looking at those kind of tasks, bringing humans involved. How about uncertainty? Because um, we a lot of our models assume we know everything, but we really don't. So how do you bring those into your modeling of what's going on? Now, to what degree are the lablets their own sort of silos, and, and to what degree do they interact with each other, if at all? So we really try to push them to interact with each other. Um, obviously, proximity to uh, within the lablet creates good collaboration, but so we try to work on that. We um, have them meet quarterly where they can present on general themes. So sometimes we'll do a empirical study uh, day of presentation. So all the different lablets talk about their work in that area and they can build up a more robust uh, connection there. And then we have um, our annual conference to bring everyone together. And we also have a continuous virtual organization, which helps help people have collaboration consistently over the year. Hmm. Now, one of the things that you outline in, in the report is is this notion of, of coming at what you describe as five hard problems. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's an interesting list. Can you take us through that and, and give us a little description of, of what you're after here? Yeah, absolutely. So the five hard problems, these were developed in uh, collaboration with the Lablet Leads and NSA in tra- saying, what are really hard, fundamental challenges we have in cybersecurity that we really need to make progress if we're going to really transform how cybersecurity is done. Uh, we have five. Re- resilient architectures, the idea of working through compromise and being able to recover from it. Hmm. We have uh, secure collaboration, which is the challenge of having information move between devices and platforms and have it to be secure and meet the uh, objectives. We have metrics, which is that perennial challenge of trying to measure how secure is something or prioritize areas to focus your security. We have uh, scalability and composability. And this one seems a little weird in the sense that it's the idea of often solutions work really well in the small, but don't work in the big. So how do you take those smaller solutions and scale them to to tackle bigger problems and more data? And then the composability part is, you can write secure parts, but how do you put them all together so you don't have to redo all the security thoughts uh, of a system? So, you know, challenge of is a secure product A, secure product B doesn't mean you get a secure system when you put them together. And then the final one is really a very interesting one, and it's the human aspect, the human behavior of cybersecurity. And that is all about trying to bring in an understanding of how humans uh, interact with systems and make decisions so that way 
you can have systems that are realistic and because you can develop a perfect system, but then the human will make a decision. You're just, and it's just like, what were you thinking? Well, that's just mean <laughs> this, that just means the technology wasn't prepared for how a person would respond. Right. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm fascinated sort of at the whole approach to this because I guess what I wonder is, are there any areas of, uh, of cybersecurity and privacy um, that have a hard time being fit into a scientific framework. You know, is, are there times when when you and the folks you're collaborating with find yourselves thinking, we're, you know, this is a, a square peg in a round hole? Uh, generally, I think we're usually thinking of most solutions do fit into a scientific, a rigorous approach to looking at it. Mm-hmm. Uh, not every problem would fit into the five hard problems because they're not they're not intended to be. They're just five problems that we're we're really focused on. So, yes, I think science can bring us very much here in cybersecurity, but we're not trying to tackle every problem. Right, right. Yeah, that, well, that makes a lot of sense. Um, well, let's go through this year's report together. What are some of the highlights for you? What really stands out as interesting? Well, this year has been definitely an interesting year with the uh, pandemic. Um, that has definitely changed many of the ideas or the activities that we normally do. But we're very appreciative that the universities uh, considered uh, the national security research being done here as critical and, uh, and worked through uh, their difficulties to continue to make progress. Um, so the, the three areas that we really work in is we do foundational research with the universities. We hold competitions, which is really a unique thing where we're trying to inspire people to do good work. And then we uh, grow this community because as good as having 20 people work on a project 200's better and 220,000's even is the best. Mm. So let's just talk about some of the interesting research findings. So at Carnegie Mellon, we had this study of uh, a long duration study of uh, how humans have been working, uh, making decisions in cyber. So they, they have gotten hundreds of uh, volunteers and then they monitor of what they're doing. And they, they investigated the question of, we see these, breach notification emails all the time. You know, we get get an email, oh, our systems were broken into, uh, for your safety, you should change your password. So they, they started looking at is, what do people actually do with that information? And it's probably, we're all probably guilty of it. And we, we, and the, in that sense that most people kind of ignore it and move on with their lives. They don't, right. actually, they don't actually rush out to change the password for that system. And it gets even more interesting in, in the sense that when people do change their passwords, they do just a slight variation. And I, I'm sure uh, many of the people can think, oh, yeah, I just added an A to the end or I added a <laughs> 1 to the end of my password. So, all, And then if they don't do that, a lot of times when they change their passwords, it actually gets easier to guess, which is you know, the, really the human aspect of it is like, well, this, I had this really hard password. Well, I can't remember that. So I'm going to make it easier this time. Mm. So you get advice out of this and saying, oh, maybe these breach emails where everybody's saying change your passwords all the time, people aren't really listening to it. So we need to have new conf- uh, effective ways of communicating. We had a uh, study at University of Alabama. Um, and this is one I've been working with, and they've been looking at it was what is a good research paper? What do you put in it? And you're like, well, oh, that 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 got to be challenged because every paper is hmm. different. But there's certain attributes of a of a paper that 
you really want to see? You know, do you want to see the assumptions? You want a clearly laid out goal and approach? And, and so they, they've been working on this in this question for a few years. And this past year, they had a, um, they have done an open expert elicitation. So they went out and talked to experts in security research and says, what are you looking for? You know, you don't want to just talk to the professors of what's going on. You want to talk to the engineers who actually have to make use of the papers and say, is the information in here useful to you? And one of the things that they often find is uh, papers struggle in understanding the validity of their research. So what are the flaws in my analysis that you can not trust my research? Or what is something going on outside of my research that influences my uh, my research? So, hmm. you know, you can think of it as like, what is just the limitation? Like, I want to make a big claim, but really my big claim isn't so big. Right. So it's a matter of, of people having a natural sort of human biases? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So... You'll have studies that will say we sampled programmers, but in reality, they all looked at freshman programmers in colleges. And you're like, well, does that really apply to somebody who's been a professional for 20 years? Mm. Maybe, maybe not. But maybe, but you need to talk about it in your paper. I see. You need to acknowledge it. Exactly. So that other okay. people know, you know, that those challenges with it. I see. Interesting. What, what other things uh, caught your eye this year? So there's a project at NC State that is really interesting. We hear the advice, um, patch. When there's a vulnerability out there for your software, patch. Patch now, don't Mm. wait, patch. And in reality, that is such a not scalable solution. You know, you think of these, you know, people who have large cloud presences. There's, yeah, I would say thousands, millions of virtual machines running on these computers. If you just took time down to patch, you're spending huge amounts of time to patch. And so people a lot of times just don't do it. And this research project's really been looking at, well, all right, let's make the assumption that you don't patch just because it's out there. You patch when the vulnerability and somebody's trying to attack you. So they've been developing those um, models and the, and the uh, sensors so that way it detects and says, oh, you care about this now, so impl- in, install this patch now. So that way, it's you. You respond to what's going on rather than just being proactive uh, and patch. Which I know sounds really weird, in the sense that you're like, "Why are you doing this later?" But when you have so many machines that you're dealing with, you need to be able to prioritize, and the system mm-hmm. helps you prioritize to saying, "This is what you're going to be attacked on." deal with it now versus this is not, you're not, they're not working on this one right now. Right, right. Like I, you know, imagine if you, you have a whole lot of, uh, I don't know, retail stores, you're, you're going to prioritize putting security guards on the ones that might be in bad neighborhoods versus the ones that are in good neighborhoods. So like you say, you're sort of bringing evidence to the table. Exactly. Yeah. Interesting. Now, what does NSA get out of their participation here? The, the leadership role, the, um, what, what comes back to NSA? So coming back to NSA, one of the things about science security is this research is completely unclassified and public. So the results are going out in the leading journals that being presented at the leading conferences. So it's going out to everyone. So in that sense, as NSA works with people who use these results, it, these products, these ideas and Concepts get put into products that the U.S. government incorporates and uses. 
So in, in that sense, it helps defend the U.S. government and NSA is responsible for working on the security of national security systems. So having better things to build it with is a great benefit. More directly, we have NSA researchers called SOS Research Champions who actually stay abreast and work with the uh, research projects. So that way they can get these ideas and incorporate it into their research and on NSA missions. So that way we can have a the, the direct response and understanding in, internally. At the same time, we build up the base of the uh, security technologies and even all uh, information technologies in the country that help benefit all our cyberspace and help make it more secure. Now, so it's really, I mean, is it fair to say that it's sort of a, a pure research effort here? You know, it's, it's, it's aside from what's happening in industry with the development of, you know, products that people are selling. As you say, you're, you're bringing scientific rigor to some of these questions without, um, I don't know, the, the veil of having to worry about marketing or profits or, you know, many of those things that the big providers, they have to deal with. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we're really looking at what is the fundamental value that you're providing? What is the What can we do now that you can't do before and release it as as widely as we can? Whether, you know, well, obviously there's the, the IP issues and the intellectual property issues, but we want people to be able to use it and make benefit of it. Our thanks to Adam Taggart for joining us. The research is the 2021 Science of Security Report from the National Security Agency. We'll have a link in the show notes. Don't struggle to align your organization's cybersecurity with business risk. Get the only solution that goes beyond reacting to threats with vulnerability and risk monitoring. You need the next evolution of MDR. And only Critical Start delivers it. Critical Start doesn't just monitor and respond to threats. They put you in control by detecting suspicious activities, quickly responding to contained threats, and identifying your most critical assets and protecting them against vulnerabilities and exposures. With continuous visibility, expert guidance, and measurable risk reduction, Critical Start has redefined what it means to manage cyber risk. Demonstrate provable security maturity to your leadership while positioning your program to achieve the greatest risk reduction per dollar spent. Stop fearing risk and start managing it with Critical Start. Visit criticalstart.com and request a demo today. That's criticalstart.com. The CyberWire Research Saturday is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing CyberWire team is Elliot Peltzman, Peru Prakash, Kelsey Bond, Tim Nodar, Joe Carrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening.